0: If you're watching this video, there's a decent chance you're trying to learn what it's like to become a pilot. This is the first in what will become a series of episodes where I talk to people who have chosen to become pilots about their career journeys. Jamie Rousseau was a flight attendant for over a decade before deciding to pursue her childhood dream of becoming a pilot. In this episode, she shares her experiences of her journey as both pilot and flight attendant, and the value of having been a flight attendant in her new role as a pilot. Flight attendants are highly trained aviation safety professionals. They are the often overlooked first responders, trained to ensure that your flight is as safe as possible when things go right or wrong. I'm quite grateful for Jamie's sharing of her experiences in both roles. I hope you enjoy this interview with her. Hey, how are you? Good. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, I, you know, it, you were one of the people I was thinking about from the start in interviewing because it's been so like, you know, I follow you on Instagram and seeing how you've, you know, are in the transition from flight attendant to pilot and uh, just thought you'd be a great person to check in with to see, you know, how you're liking the process, if, if there's anything you, what you've loved about it, what you don't love about it. Um, And if there's anything that you sort of do differently from the initial training standpoint, when did you start your flight attendant role? Uh,
1: Let's see. I applied to Virgin America at the end of 2007. And then my class date was in March of 2008.
0: I think I remember flying with you and uh, Julie and um, Marche. Uh, oh, that's fine. When I was a brand new captain. I, I, it was, it was my, my first month of being captain. And it was one of the more memorable trips, you know. And, <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt that. That's a good crew. Yeah, I remember uh, getting off one of the, or, or the passengers were getting off one of the flights. And all of a sudden, every passenger is like, hey, congratulations. Oh, wow. You must have your hands full. I'm like, what's going on? And Marche had told every passenger that my wife just had triplets, which I and I that that wasn't the case, but it was just like,
1: (laughs) oh, that's awesome.
0: (laughs) And that's just sort of like the cool, fun atmosphere that like you know happened at Virgin a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I believe it was on that trip the grumblings about from some members of the flight attendant group at Virgin were already starting. And one of the, 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 grumblings was like, you know, this is bullshit that they make us wear high heels and yada, yada, yada. And I remember sort of like feeling like, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's not cool. What not. And I remember saying to you, like, like, do you think it's bullshit that they make you wear high heels? And you were like, I think it's fun. I think we looked at it, you know, and, and uh, I just remember being struck by that because that was like one of my like, I don't know, it was just like this little data point that kind of shifted my mind a little bit from like this big bad airlines oppressing women and, you know, objectifying them to like, you were like, hey, it's fun, it's cool. I knew what I was getting into and, and it, it, it's great. And like, you know, uh, for us to enjoy our airline careers, I think the mental attitude that we all have is kind of huge in that. And you just always had kind of like a, a fun professional way of doing things. It's like, look, we can be totally professional. We can, we can know, you know, our jobs, we can know our stuff. We can, we can be ready for the emergencies and we can also be have fun doing it.
1: Yeah. I still think that to this day.
0: <laughs> so, so towards that end, tell me like, When did you start to suspect that you might want to switch from the back of the plane to the front of the plane?
1: Oh, we're going to go way back first, I guess. Um, When I was a teenager-ish, maybe preteen, I had started going to air shows, and that's when the bug first got me. And when I was very young, actually, I was earlier than preteen, But um, I wanted to be the first woman Blue Angel. That was like my big goal as a child. And uh, at the time I had a single mom. My dad had passed away and she had started looking into the Navy and everything for me. And um, it just kind of subsided over the years. Once I realized what I was going to potentially get into, my mom was very supportive of it, but it just didn't pan out. And then she had later on looked into doing flight lessons for me. And I, at this point was for sure a teenager and this guilt of having a single mom who was super supportive of any um, dream of mine was kind of taking over because I realized how expensive it was going to be. And I was like, no, I'm good mom. And again, just kind of put it on the back burner. And then when I was in school, I was traveling a lot, and the travel bug got a hold of me, and I had looked into jobs that would allow me to travel either for work or um, allow me the financial freedom to be able to travel, and I had looked into becoming a travel agent, and that didn't really fit the mold, and so I had started looking into becoming a flight attendant, and this was probably 2006 or so five five then six so I had applied at a few airlines and didn't hear back and then life took me out to the west coast and I heard about this new airline Virgin America and I applied got hired and the rest is history and I think this for a while just filled that void of wanting to be in the air in whatever capacity I could make happen and so to really answer your question when did I realize that I wanted to make this jump? Um was 2011 I went on a discovery flight in God, East Bay, I think. I was out in Alameda or somewhere, some flight school, and loved it. And once again the financial thing hit me. And I was like, well, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna happen and on a new hire, you know, flight attendance journey. Well it wasn't really that new anymore, but I was like, I can't there's just no way. And on the back burner, it went again. And I, I think many pilots that I flew with over the years, heard me talk about becoming a pilot over and over and over and over again. And, um, I took the leap when we started merging with another airline and life got a little uncomfortable and it was big changes. And I was like, you know, if I'm Already going through big changes here in my life. Let's just let's just keep going. (laughs) So yeah, I took Uh the leap. And at the time I was working with our emergency preparedness team, and I was doing really cool little jobs on the side with Virgin Galactic. And I helped certify one of our new aircraft. And I was just kind of working my way up the rung as much as I could as a flight attendant. And I think in doing so, I realized I wanted to get deeper into aviation. And for a while I was looking into, um, NTSB and, and I was like, you know, I really want to be a pilot. I I did when I was a kid and hell let's, let's do it. So I started doing some research and reached out to a lot of pilots that work for mentorship and got a lot of advice and I, you know, you just kind of keep going from there on out. So yeah, I think that was probably Ooh, 2016, where I really started digging in and trying to figure out a game plan, and then I took my first real discovery flight um in 2018, and okay. then there, and then I just kept going.
0: Nice. How important were those voices from the uh from the pilot group to encourage you?
1: Super important. I I couldn't have done this without advice and mentorship along the way I got a lot of bad advice and I got a lot of really good advice too and um because you don't know where to start I, I people ask me all the time how the hell do you become a pilot and I even got that as a flight attendant too how do you become a flight attendant like how do you even think of it where do you go do you go to school for it and people just don't know where to start because the average person doesn't know a pilot you know we're pretty Um, immersed in it all. Aviation is a big part of our lives, or our lives. So we see a lot of pilots and people in the industry, but the average person off the street doesn't know anyone in this industry, so they don't even know where to begin. Yeah, so having that support system at work was huge, huge to get this going.
0: I I just got off the phone with a, a younger pilot, a 27-year-old guy who's in the uh, corporate world. He's got 22 hours or 2,200 hours, 200 of which are uh, multi-engine turbine PIC. And we were talking about his opportunities because he's being offered, you know, some some cool things on the 135 charter, you know, side and some management roles. And he's kind of mulling over does he want to go to the airlines? And, and I've just found and I'm saying this to bounce it off of you to see if you agree or, 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 or even to help me refine my own techniques of what is helpful talk, what is, what is not. I just think it's really important to discuss the opportunities and be totally frank about the lifestyle and be totally frank about all of the, the, the benefits, but all of the negatives and not to whitewash over anything and just go where I'm coming from is my own opinion and not, not, hey, this is how it's going to be. One of the things that I'm kind of excited about right now, and that I get excited about when I hear someone wants to become, you know, a pilot, and you tell me and I want to hear about your challenges. Like, especially if there's if they're a woman, I see a tremendous amount of opportunity right now for women in aviation. But one of the things I'm wondering, I just heard you say that you felt like your major obstacles were the financial um, getting into it. But uh, did you see being a woman uh, back then and now or, and has it changed as being an obstacle towards you getting into this or being uh, an asset?
1: Oh, it's complicated. It's and it's something I don't want to oversimplify. And, and same as you, I just because I feel a certain way doesn't necessarily mean it's the same journey or story for every woman yeah um but you know I've been really lucky that I have support I I haven't had anyone tell me I can't do this I've only had people tell me that it's going to be harder because I'm a woman actually no I haven't only had that I've had people tell me that it's gonna be really easy
0: but in a Um, not helpful way Yeah.
1: And a very sarcastic, like you're, it's in the bag for you because you are a woman kind of thing. And, and, and I know the people who have said that to me, um, I don't think they necessarily realize how hurtful it can be. they're not trying to be a jerk about it, but I don't want to be a quota filler. I don't think anyone wants to, I don't want to ever get where I am just because of a gender or identity, you know, I think I earn it just as much as anyone else and kind of going back to what other people say about it will be harder. I have found that a couple times, you know, people will drill me a little bit harder on my knowledge to make sure I'm really getting something so that I can pass. And, you know, I watch them do a mock world with a guy and they don't even dig into half the stuff they went into with me. Um, just refining my skills a little bit more just to make sure I'm gonna pass. I don't know, I I guess maybe I'm overly sensitive about it at times, but I found myself kind of doing that as a flight instructor as well. I was a little bit harder on my female students or my students who, you know, English was a second language for them because I want them to get there and pass and I don't want anyone to doubt them. So I, I found myself doing it which was kind of crappy, but yeah, I, I think I've, I've heard from other women definitely along the way that some really awful sexist things and people being touched inappropriately and put into really awkward situations because of their gender. But um, again, I've been really lucky that it's just been these microaggressions that I receive from people. And it's, again, it's never this direct hateful thing that they're saying it's just very subliminal and I try really hard to have a thick skin and just write it off as ignorance but yeah it's there it's present and it does make it a little bit more challenging because I always wonder am I just here because I'm a girl or did I really earn it and I don't think anyone should ever have to doubt whether they've earned something um And, you know, I'm a white woman, so, you know, to be of a have different skin color, different from a different country to be, you know, any sort of minority, it only goes tenfold beyond that. So who am I to say anything? Because I'm still white. But, you know, it's there's great programs out there for this very reason, because kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, a lot of it does have to do with money. And generationally, I think pilots tend to come into this field because their parents were pilots, or it's in the family, and then it kind of trick, Yeah, it trickles down, right? And so things typically fall into place for you. And so people who are coming from the outside of that circle, uh, either just because they don't have aviation in their family or because they are a minority, it's really hard to get in and a lot of it does start with money and opportunity and we all know this job is about networking so if you're one of the the thems and not the us you know it's even more difficult to get in and so yeah every now and then I feel that as a woman but at the same time I've got a gr- great support community from other women and men as well great men out there who supported me
0: along the way. Tell me the role that organizations play in supporting you as a uh, as a new pilot um, are you involved in any organizations yeah. and uh, and if and and also if you could just kind of run through a list of if if, if someone's listening to this and they just are at the level where they've oh I want to boy being a pilot sounds cool I know nothing about it like where would you direct them to kind of start their investigation.
1: Start finding pilots (laughs) and talking to them. That's what I did, and I was lucky because I was a flight attendant. But um, there, I'm part of the 99s, uh, Women in Aviation and GPA, and then I support and follow other programs. You know, EAA has the Young Eagles program, AOPA, Sisters of the Sky, Fly for the Culture. There are so many programs and organizations out there, and. It really does start with money. It's all about scholarships and spreading the wealth and leveling that playing field so that this is a tangible thing for people who are on the outside of the circle so that they can come in and realize that they're just as qualified and welcome to be here as the rest of us. But um, for me, I saved up for about a year and a half, maybe even two years before I jumped in so having my flight attendant job supported me financially and i did apply for scholarships along the way i didn't receive any Uh, they're hard to get Um, there's a lot of money out there and there are a lot of scholarships but um there are people who are way more deserving of them than i am and have been and of course the money goes where it should um, but these organizations definitely play a huge financial role, role for people. But for me, it was more of a support network. When I was a student pilot, my instructor, he, I think, realized I didn't have uh, any women pilot friends outside of the airline I was working for at the time. And he suggested, suggested the 99s, one of his former students, Uh, was the secretary for the chapter at the time. And he put me in contact with her. And then I went to a meeting and made some great pilot friends that were women. And I was like, wow, role models, friends. It changed everything just to have people to talk to about what I was struggling with and ask all the dumb questions that I wasn't necessarily comfortable asking a guy along the way. And so for me, it was more of that, just that circle of trust and networking from other women who were local to me. And um, that was amazing. And now I'm the secretary of our uh, section of the 99. So it's just kind of cool to see how it all comes full circle.
0: So do you have a sense of um, what your pilot training cost you?
1: Oh, um, let's see. Everyone tells you for the most part, people tell you your private's going to cost 10 grand. That was what I was hearing more or less across the board from pilots at work. And a lot of these people that were saying this hadn't been in training for, you know, 20 plus years, (laughs) or maybe they had a son or daughter who was in training as well. But for me, it ended up costing Hmm, I think it ended up being 15,000 when all was said and done. And that was books, check ride, all of it. Yeah. So it was a little bit more than I had budgeted for, but I made it work. And I think that's a pretty good average from what I'm hearing for nowadays. I mean, you can go to some small, non towered field out in rural wherever and fly a 152 or something like that and keep the cost down. Absolutely. Um, And there are places where you can get your private done for less than 10, but for me in new England at a busy airport in a warrior, it ended up being about 15,000. And then the rest of it, I did the accelerated program and I think with everything, it was just shy of 80,000. So that's instrument commercial, com multi, CFI, CFII, MEI, all of it. Or so Eighty
0: thousand out the door, including private, or ninety-five thousand.
1: So it'll be like ninety-five ish, all said and done.
0: Yeah. So you got a fair amount of debt.
1: Oh yeah, I've got a lot of debt. The yeah. private I paid as I went, but the the at ATP, a big part of mm-hmm. what sold me on it was I couldn't afford to keep going, so I needed a loan or a scholar or many scholarships. So and the scholarships weren't working out. So I did the loan. Yep. They partner with at the time, I don't know what they're doing now, but it was either Sally May or Wells Fargo. So I got approved through, through Sally May. And
0: yeah. Do you mind do you mind talking what, what type of rate you have on that debt? Like what oh God, I don't
1: even remember. It's probably I've heard people being upwards of 12, 13, 14. And I think I'm around seven point something percent APR. Um, okay. And then I'm, I can really only afford to pay minimum payments right now just to, you know, stay afloat. But, you know, once I get to the big leagues, I plan on paying it down a lot quicker. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That day will come, but right now I'm just doing what I can to just, put something down. And with COVID, they've been great saying I can defer. Um, But I was like, you know, I'm just going to keep going and I've got the money to be able to do so. So yeah, they'll work with you if you are struggling for sure.
0: Okay. So where are you at right now in the, uh, in your aviation journey? And tell me about this, uh, this uh, cockpit. Oh, I'm at a 135. Flight (laughs) deck. It's all good.
1: I'm at a 135. Here in New England, a little regional carrier, and it's great. I'm based in Bar Harbor, Maine, and uh, I fly two round trips a day to Boston, so it's kind of cool. I get to fly out of this non-towered field into a Bravo every day, so I get to see both sides of it, and um, I'm just over 1,200 hours. I'm really close to PIC upgrade. I just need some more night. And then after PIC, I'll, I'm working toward that 1500 for my captain upgrades. So I'm hoping that comes this winter and just slogging along.
0: <laughs> so slogging along is the feeling <laughs> and the impression. Uh, is there a sense of like, okay, this is where I've got to pay my dues to, you know, in order to be able to get to, to my destination?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, so yeah. it's. This isn't. This is a step along the way, and I know for many people this is not, and this is their career and props, you know, if that's what you want. But for me, I do want to be on the other side of the bulletproof door, <laughs> so
0: <laughs> that's the
1: transition that I want to make. Uh, and I know that's not the same for everyone, but I'd Any, like to go
0: full circle. You know, do you want to be at a A major that has like one or two fleet types, or are you looking to be at like a big global major with wide bodies and stuff like that?
1: You know, I'm not chasing any sort of metal, I'm not chasing any particular airline. Um, I get asked that a lot. I think having been in the industry now for like 13 years, I've just taken it as it comes and I'm really laid back about it all. Um, so whatever happens, happens, and I've learned anything can happen in this industry. Yeah. So I'm being patient and just enjoying the ride and yeah, I'd love to end up at an airline as for which airline, who knows? I, I'd love to be able to drive to my base and not have to fly across the country anymore to get to base, but we'll see. We will yeah. see.
0: <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you can tell the uh, lovely setting that I have for this, uh, this interview, but this is the crash pad. In mm-hmm. El Segundo, mm-hmm. I live in, Uh, the lehigh valley of pennsylvania regardless of where you end up and you already know this um but just for the edification of whoever might be listening like your enjoyment of the airline is going to be totally majorly up to your own outlook your own your own self-talk like what do we what do we tell ourselves you know and i see uh so many people making their lives miserable right now just by like feeling like they need to complain about something. And I've got a, you know, what some people would consider to be a hard life situation right now because I'm doing a transcon commute. I quite often make that better by, got a couple of buddies and we'll split up trips in Newark. And, and I've been like really fortunate to be able to start, start and end a, a fair amount of trips on the East coast. And every time I get one of those trades, I feel like I am winning, you know? But But there's other times like yesterday where, I gotta hop on, uh, hop on a plane and and fly, you know, out from Newark to start my trip today. You know, leaving my my world 24 hours earlier than I need to because I do not live where I'm based. And if I started telling myself, or just repeating the mantras of all of the things that are deficient about the particular airline you're at, or what's not in your contract that should be i would take myself down a dark rabbit hole that would be like why am i doing this like i've got to tell myself i've got a job that's worth commuting across the country for and it's a good job
1: you know commuting i mean I've, i haven't been working regularly at our airline for a while now but when i was deep in the transcon commute there were days it would get to me for sure that dark rabbit hole you were mentioning but I often found my commute as my me time, you know, I just got to take care of whatever online or, you know, we have Wi-Fi nowadays, so it's a lot different, but I could take care of whatever online or read a book or just take a nap for once. And it was my six hours of, I'm just in my seat being present with myself. And you don't always get that in the day-to-day life of whatever, but, um, so I tried to see it as that as my me time. and then whether I got a hotel or stayed with a friend, it was a way to connect with people who I wasn't seeing as often on the west coast or having a hotel room to yourself is really nice too. and it's yeah. your little vacation away. and um, I think a lot of us see this job as that. So I tried to see my commute in the positive, but good God, you can't beat driving to work either. (laughs) As as much as I try to make it this positive experience and all that, my God, it's so much easier to just hop in your car and be at the airport within an hour. But it's definitely a humbling journey to have to do the trans con commute and force yourself to see the good in it. And I think we're very similar in that regard that we choose to not be miserable because a lot of people do just get lost in the misery of it all
0: and it's like look it's not like their gripes aren't legitimate
1: no no absolutely
0: but it's just like you know at the end of the day it, it sounds totally corny but like we're in a free country man like we've got yeah. a whole bunch of choices Right, I just have one choice that I don't have, which is to like drive to work in Newark, New Jersey anymore. Although I really might even have that choice if I wanted to switch airlines. Yeah, I'm not willing to sacrifice, you know, seniority and and pay scales. I get
1: it. I get it.
0: (laughs) So hey, tell me. So you're driving to work in Bar Harbor. How far a drive is that from your house right now?
1: It's about four and a half hours. Okay, Um, it's a little brutal, but our flights are so full right now. I, I was anticipating i'd be able to just hop on us and fly up to get to work and leave my car up there but we are pretty much sold out every damn leg so that's not happening so i'm driving and again i'm seeing it as my me time listening to my spotify playlists and enjoying it and it's beautiful it's beautiful drive so who am i to complain but
0: you ought to listen to the uh steve randall episode of
1: yeah i'm gonna i'm driving up today i'll listen to
0: it he is so much fun to talk to and he's, he's a great so guy cool stories
1: mm-hmm.
0: did you read his book
1: yeah he is something else
0: <laughs> like i i just read that and i go like wow like that requires he's done so, it all. Much, so much planning so much preparation but mm-hmm. and the the analogy that i made and it's not a perfect analogy but i think it's actually not as far off as people might think, it's like, it kind of reminds me of like, like Steve is to aviation, what Alex Honnold is to rock climbing. (laughs) Because like, if you think about it, the amount of preparation and planning and skill that goes into doing all of that and not dying is is huge. And you've got to be totally sharpened on your A game, but you still might die. And I mean, there's no way for Steve to control your engine quitting between Greenland and Scotland. Yeah. Like he said in the, the interview, like he was well aware of the risk and at the time he was comfortable, with it, you know? Yeah. But then he did have to get out at the end because he realized he just wasn't willing to take the risk anymore. Like when you start mm-hmm. walking up to a plane and going, is this plane going to be my coffin? Yeah. It's probably time to get out. You
1: know? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So you got a crash pad up in Bar Harbor?
1: I do it's amazing
0: yeah, it looks can. a lot nicer than yours my friend <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i one of our uh, gate agents up in bar harbor she rents out her farmhouse to pilots and so yeah i'm living on a little farm that's really i cool. can walk out and get eggs in the morning and
0: oh that's where I've, I've seen the instagram pictures of the uh of the eggs on the yeah, farm
1: that's my so craft that's that's
0: that is super cool
1: it's ridiculous i'm so lucky like first base at my new airline i'm in bar harbor and i have an amazing setup it's i got really lucky i got really lucky and i'm so, very aware of that
0: all right so you're at a, a large regional in the northeast flying the technum like i'm
1: actually in the 402
0: oh you're in the 402
1: now. yeah wait yep. a second
0: you went from I the 402 know. This to is- the technum back to the 402
1: yeah okay so initial training starts in the 402 and then we had a base bid and i got awarded a base that is technum so i got sent off to technum training and then about halfway through technum training a new bid came out a vacancy bid and so i tried because my original base was billing montana yeah and it's like shit (laughs) far that's far and so I tried to get anywhere closer to home because I live in Massachusetts and I got awarded Bar Harbor, which is not a technum base, it's a 402 base. So I just finished up technum training just to get dual qualified. And yeah, I'm back on the 402. The only reason that I have this up is because I had to do a technum flight the other day. So I was just kind of going over my flows again, just so I didn't forget it all.
0: You're married, no kids. How is the husband liking dealing with you being a regional airline pilot?
1: Well, you know, we've been together for a while now, so he knows my life as a flight attendant. Yeah. And I'm speculating on a lot of this. It's probably a conversation we should have soon, but when I was based out there, I was just doing transcon turns, so I was home a lot of the time. I did do the occasional four day here and there, but I was home a lot. And so when I sat him down to talk about becoming a pilot, I really had to express to him how I'm not going to be home as much, especially in the training environment. I could be sent off to wherever for months at a time. And I'm going to be junior, which he has never known me as junior. I've always been relatively senior and uh, I'll be on reserve at some point. And these are all things that he never got to see because I got that over with before we started dating. So he never really saw the crappy side of it all. He only saw the senior mama side of things. So I really had to tell him like, we're getting into a serious strain on our relationship. And if you're not okay with that, let me know. But if you're down, then let's do this. So we went and talked about it on and off for about a week. And then when I was fairly certain that he was truly okay with this and wasn't just saying it, then that's when I took my discovery flight. And so fast forward to now, um, I've got a four on four off schedule. So I think that's, pretty good and it, so that it, it sucks when it overlaps for his weekdays because right now I'm home and he's at work so I won't yeah. see him until he gets back but when it overlaps on the weekends it's great so I'm pretty happy with it I know it could be better and I know I'm away a lot and I'm sure it's very straining on him and it's not ideal for any marriage unfortunately but he's so supportive of it all and I try to be really present when I'm here and really help out around the house. Cause I know a lot of it gets, you know, thrown to him and he's basically a stay at home dad with our two cats, but yeah, no kids. I can only imagine that would complicate things, but it's just not on the cards for us. So we're a couple of dinks and doing the best we can, but it's definitely rough not to be with your partner all the time. And sure. You know, everyone knows it's, whether it's your spouse or your kids or your friends or your family, you're gone and they're living their lives without you. So just as sad as I'm sure he must be when I'm gone, I'm sad too and you just try to fight through it and someday I'll be senior again. It's not gonna be anytime soon, but that day will come. And um, we try to date each other Versus just being married. So we go out on date nights a lot. And I think that really helps. And we just take each other out like we used to when we first met. And I really like that we do that because it keeps things fresh. And, you know, we don't fight because we're just trying to date each other again and really find the joy in it. It kind of goes back to the commuting thing. Like I'm trying to just be happy and see the best of it and not be miserable because you'll get yourself in a deep, dark hole that is hard to come out of. And (laughs) yeah, because there are, there are months where I'm like, this sucks. Like who wants this for a marriage? It's not ideal, but that whole absence makes the heart grow fonder. There's absolutely truth in that too, because I'm excited to see him. He's excited to see me and we get to catch up and tell each other about our days. And I think there's some, some magic in that too. And we try to hold on to that, or at least I know I do. I can't speak for him, of course, but this isn't easy. I'm not gonna say it is, it's hard, but I think we're doing a pretty damn good job of being there for each other and being supportive and trying to make the best of it. And it could be worse. It could absolutely be worse.
0: So as I'm listening to you talk, I'm kind of reflecting on my own uh, circuit through the regionals. And what was amazing to me about my own journey is how little I actually understood about regionals and what the life is gonna be like uh, until I actually got there. Like I was learning all of these things about how Great Lakes based pilots that I just, because my dad was a TWA pilot, I never would have assumed that things would have been so hard on the lifestyle at at the regional airline. Uh, And it's kind of interesting because I'm thinking like, you know, I might have talked myself out of it had I even had a full understanding of of what it was going to be like before I went through it. And now looking back, I'm totally glad that I did that. Like Great Lakes was the best thing that ever happened to me in my career from the the sense of like, you go to a place and, and uh, I'm assuming your, your, your job isn't like this, but back then in, in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands, like training was very adversarial. The hiring process was very adversarial and it was all, I think done under the guise of like, well, we're going to just, you know, see what you're made of. And if you can cowboy up, you know, and, and they had like outstation basing, which I didn't even realize when I got hired there, like, you know, you're, you're based in like, you know, Casper, Wyoming or whatnot. And, and you're not based in Denver, but thankfully by the time I was there a couple months, they had actually switched. So we were hub based, but in the amount of days that you're going to be working, like, like if you know an airline pilot, who's working for a major airline, like the regionals are seriously not going to be like that. And so I guess the, the, the question that I have or, or the, the, the sort of picture I'd like for you to paint is like, You know, for people who are interested in in becoming airline pilots at the majors, who are trying to understand what their what their life and sort of comeuppance will be like, like sort of maybe could you more fully describe the 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 plot of how much things could vary depending on which regional you go to? I mean, not to name any by name, or just just what what the like ha- like what you be, what you better be ready to be willing to adapt to, you know?
1: Um, working really long days. Um, uh, most of my days are 12 hours and then add weather into it. It's typically longer than that. Um, so long days are big change for me as a flight attendant. Yeah. At certain points I did work long days, but one. The more I grew in my seniority, the more I chose not to work that hard. And so I don't have that choice anymore. So I'm working really long days and dealing with weather and delays and maintenance and normal airline stuff that doesn't change anywhere. But, you know, I'm making minimum wage. I'm making very little money to deal with long days. And like I said, I'm away from home. For me, it's four on, four off. But there are other places where you might be on the road for eight to 12 days at a time depending on how it plays out with your trips and you might be home every night it just it really depends it that there is that big spectrum of it all but you're junior you're the you're the bottom of the barrel you get worked and you get called and the hard days are hard for sure and you're making very little money and you barely have time to eat sometimes and you're tired and you're doing your damn best. Um, but the the good part of it is that you are working toward that cushy job where you're making an insane amount of money per hour and you do have seniority to be able to bid for better days off, more time at home, or whatever it is that you choose to bid for. Some people like being at work and if they see it as a vacation. It just depends on your mentality. but You kind of have to go through the motions of the regional life to get to that point where you're the cushy captain at some airline where you're making an insane amount of money and having your choice at your days off. And um, I'm fairly certain you guys are line bidding. Are you PBS? I can't even remember. You're line bidding. So I'm getting a taste of that now because I'm used to the preferential bidding where I can pick and choose exactly how I want my schedule to work. And you know, when you're junior, that's not very helpful, but when you're senior, you can tweak your schedule to be exactly what you want it to be. And yeah, line bidding sucks. I, I don't really have a choice anymore. I get to pick that line, that line, or that line. And my whole month is dictated for me and I don't have a choice in how it plays out. So that's been a huge, um, humbling experience for me because I knew you guys were going through it and I understood that it wasn't ideal but now that it's happening to me I'm like wow this is brutal um so there's that depending on your regional you might have line bidding you might have preferential it just depends on the airline but yeah when you're junior man you don't really get a say regardless of the bidding style you just kind of show up and do what you're told and go to work and go home. And so those days suck when you're not really enjoying it, but the good days are good. I am paired up with a great captain and we have fun and I get to fly up and down the new England coast every day. And I, it's, it's great. It's great when it's great, you know? Yeah. So it just cool. depends. There's such a huge range of this, the, the regional process it you could be at a little 135 like I am, or you could be in a nice, jet at a regional too it but i think people need to be very realistic with what they're getting into and that they're gonna have to pay their dues um unfortunately like everyone else but so yeah so let's talk about
0: you know you said you got about 1200 hours right yeah um it's my impression uh, you know, I'm, I'm ignorant. So school me to, to even land one of those jobs where you, where you're flying a jet for a regional, you have to have a, uh, a an ATP, right?
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: Which means you have how much time,
1: how much time?
0: Yeah. Like, like how much time are, are like, I'm, I'm totally ignorant as oh, I'm, f- I'm not-
1: 1500, 1500 hours.
0: Okay. Or yeah. if you went through a, a four-year school with a, yeah. with a 141, it's, what, a 1,000 hours?
1: I think you're right. The restricted ATP, I haven't thought about that in a while. But, yeah, okay. I think it's pretty close
0: to that. And so you chose to go the path of transitioning from being a flight instructor to going and working for um, you know, a, re, a, 130, a large-scale 135 operator scheduled service that has a still piston-driven aircraft. Is that a mainstream decision or how are most people getting to their 1500 hours uh, before they, you know, get hired by it?
1: I'd say most people, well, I I don't know. I'm speculating. I would say most people are doing the CFI route. Um, And this is where mentorship came into play for me. A lot of people said, if you can and you want to do it because you're going to learn so much more as a CFI than you could have ever as a student. And I found that to be true and I, and I knew it would be true. I just, I I like teaching. And so I knew it would be a good fit for me. I know it's not the right fit for everyone, but my time as a flight instructor was so valuable, especially when I was teaching multi-engine students too. It really helped me now. Um, But there were so many times where I'd be instructing and as I'm trying to articulate something, I would realize I didn't really know what I was talking about. So I'd have to go home and study up, and I would realize that you either was taught something incorrectly, or I was not really understanding things as deeply as I thought I had at the time, and so being an instructor kept me on my toes, and it kept me sharp, and because you, you want to pass that to your students and make sure everyone's safe, of course, you know, but um, yeah. it was good for me. I think instructing was the best thing I could have done, but that isn't necessarily the way to go. Some people will do survey work or uh, traffic watch or dropping meat bombs out of the sky, doing, you know, skydiving stuff. But uh, it depends what it's calling for you. A lot of people never want to be in flight instructor. They, it is not part of their plan. They would rather build hours elsewhere and I get that and I respect that because I don't think people who don't want to be instructors should be but uh, yeah (laughs) we all we all know um but
0: I worked with some people who quite clearly did not want to be flight instructors when we're all flight instructors and and, you know you can see they hated it and their students hated them (laughs) yeah it's just yeah
1: yeah that's exactly it and but it looks good on paper. And I mean, it does make you a better pilot, I think. So I I get what people do it, even if they don't want to, because they know it's the right thing to do, but it isn't the right thing for everyone. It's just the path that I chose. And it is pretty common. I would say, especially if you go to a place like ATP, it's part of the package is getting all of your instructor ratings. Um, But, and I loved it. It was a great way to make money. It was a great way to meet people. And I made so many friends with, fellow instructors at a great little flying club there and we all hung out on our you know after hours or on our days off go flying for fun and I learned a lot from my peers and I learned a lot from my students yeah they taught me so much and so it was it was the right thing for me to get here and time build but some people will instruct all the way to 1500 and I'm seeing that with a lot of my peers as well I have several People who stuck through it when I was moving on to this 135 operation, and they are now working in jets at regionals. So I, I do wonder if I made the right choice sometimes. But you, that's kind of part of this. There is no right answer, and sometimes you just have to make a move, and that's what I did. And some people choose to go the 135 route, or some people like me, it just kind of fell into place and it was the right thing at the right time and yeah. having a blast. So it's, it's great. But every now and then I look over and I wonder, should I have been more patient so I could be in that jet over there? Who
0: knows? There's, but there's I, still I, so many open paths exactly. ahead of you. I mean, you're mm-hmm. not, you're not boxed into to any corner. You,
1: you, yep. you know, there's
0: just a lot of opportunity there.
1: There are. And that's, that's, kind of part of what your question was is there's this huge spectrum of how this part of your career can play out. And I only know mine and I only know what my friends and peers are doing, but I think none of us is more right than the other person and we're all very different people. So whether you choose to do this or go straight to the airlines, who knows?
0: Having gone on the accelerated program, how much did your outcome depend upon you picking up the books and studying and self-studying and self learning you
1: know? 100%. <laughs> I mean, so. your instructors are there, of course, but it's, I'm thankful I knew this before I got into this or before I got into it, because I know a lot of people kind of get this bait and switch or they see it as, as that. Um, I reached out to a couple people who had been through the program and asked them, for the good the bad and the ugly. So I had a pretty decent idea about what I was about to get myself into for that amount of money, you know. Yeah. But I'm in my 30s and I needed to speed up the process and I needed a loan, so it was the right choice for me. But it's it's all you. It's all you and there is ground and there your instructor is there and there's the sim and it's great, but if you're not willing to put in the work, you are not Going to succeed, it is all you. And I think coming from a little mom and pop school, and then going to this accelerated program, it was a, a little bit of a culture shock for me. I felt very alone and isolated, and um, I don't even know the right word for it. But at times, I just felt like like I wasn't going to succeed. I it was rough, yeah. but you have to put in the work and I did, and I survived, <laughs> but a lot of people don't, it's yeah. fast. It's hard, but that's what the point is, is it just happens all so fast. And that's kind of why I went back to my mom and pop school to instruct, to kind of slow down the pace. And yeah, you can't know it all when you're learning things that quickly. I think the learning process happens a lot after the fact yeah. because you're just kind of me- It's all rote. It's this rote memory just to pass your check ride and you just got to keep this inertia going to survive. And then your check ride happens, you pass whatever. And then you realize, Oh shit, I didn't really learn anything. I was just in the motion of it all. I was just memorizing it to get through it all. And yeah when I started instructing, that's when I realized I need to actually learn now and slow down and revisit a lot of concepts. So it's hard and it is 99.9% self-study. But I think a lot of this is, unless you go to like a 141 program where there's this formal, you know, structure to it all with a lot of ground. But so, yeah, I mean, it's all, and I, I told my students this at the flight school that I was at. I, so I think it doesn't matter what school you go to. It, you're only going to get out of it what you put into it. And yeah. I have a lot of students that would never study. They'd show up unprepared. And it's screamingly obvious as an instructor when that's the case. And I'm not going to spoon and feed this to anyone. Yeah. Um, unless it's like a learning style that needs that, then okay. But the average person, you know, you need to put in the work to get here. And I think advice for people who want to become a pilot, it's not like going to school and having a teacher teach you. It's so different. And I think that was a big shock for me when I started. It's immensely self-study and very little guidance and Which is unfortunate because if you go into the fundamentals of instructing handbook for CFIs, part of it is that you need to keep your students informed. And when I was studying to become a flight instructor, that really resonated with me because I felt like I was never fully informed. Like I was always scrambling to figure out what I should be doing and um, really curious about where I was in the process because I had nothing to compare myself to So I was thinking like, when I'm an instructor, I'm going to keep my students informed. And then you start instructing and you realize how hard that is. Like even with a syllabus, it's so hard to keep them informed because it's such a complicated process and a lot of it is self-study. So how can you keep them informed when they're doing 99% of the work on their own and you're detached from it all? Um, So yeah, whether you're at an accelerated program or not, it's you have to show up and study hard. And unfortunately you have to eat, sleep and breathe this to be successful. Like if you're just apathetically doing it, it just takes so much longer to get it done, which is fine. If you're not, you know, driven to get it out in a certain time frame. but I think anyone that's looking at becoming a pilot, you need to, adjust your expectations of what learning really is and you can't think of it in the way that you were taught in you know elementary school or high school it's very different atmosphere and you're really teaching yourself a lot of it which seems insane because you're learning how to fly an airplane so how am I going to teach myself how to do that but look at us we're doing it you know and yeah even when you, I don't, I can't speak for you or anyone else, but like I, even at the airlines, you're given the materials and you're given the flows and you're given the all the different books and um, manuals, and then here go and you learn on your own in your hotel room or with your classmates, and it's it's hard, it's different to not be spoon-fed everything like you were in elementary school or high school, or even to some extent in college, it's a lot of independent study.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the contrasts I'm thinking about as you're saying that, um, and you did the majority of your training 61, right? Um, as opposed to 141, I, I did my private 61 in high school and. It was, that just was all natural ability for me. I did not study much at all. I remember, I think, I the minimum passing grade on the private pilot exam was 70, and I think yep. I got a 72. <laughs> um, yep. My senior year of high school, uh, I took the private pilot ground school. I did not study much, and I got by. But my instructor said, oh, wow, you're a natural and, and things like that. But it, And then I didn't do anything with it for about six years until I went down to flight safety at Farrow Beach. And that was the 141 training program. And what I know about myself, given that I was such a non-committed student throughout high school and college, that I was telling myself that that's just who I was. And now looking back at that, at age 49, I see that there was like a lot of negative self-talk because it's not true of me in aviation. I, I study, I read, I do my, I do my work. It's, 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 you know, would I be able to go back and redo high school and college as a more committed student all around right now? I, I don't know maybe, but, but the reality is, is flying was always a different thing for me, but the structure of the 141 programs was really good for me. Um, they put us through two weeks of, of classroom work and, and, you know, the, it is one of the questions that I ask people that you're speaking to is like, you're talking about how much self-study it is, you know, from your perception that you went through it all 61. Um, most of the 141 programs, I do believe cost more, yeah. like significantly more. Yeah. And so that might be prohibited. But if you knew you absolutely wanted to do this, but you do better in more structured environments that, that aren't as much self-study, probably want to shift to a 141 program. Like I remember at Flight Safety, there would be like, we would have an, an, an hour or a half an hour to an hour long pre-brief before every flight lesson, and then go fly for an hour or two, depending on the nature of the lesson. And then, and then you had like a 15 to 30 minute debrief after that. And when I was teaching at the part 61 flight school, that seriously was not the case. We didn't, you know, the, the people who own the flight school, they want those planes flying. You know, they do not want you to spend an hour pre-briefing a student on what you're going to do and then get up and so you're going to be learning as you go along and and if you're at a part 61 school you're going to have to be you know doing all your own preparation and so like would you agree that i mean i'm not suggesting that like hey 141 at school you don't have to study like they'll handle it for that they'll train you but would you agree that that you know if you can get more of that structure and a little bit more of that opportunity for Q&As with the with the uh, with the instructor out of a 141 program.
1: Absolutely. I when I found students were struggling with how relaxed it was in the part 61 environment and the, that they just weren't really succeeding as much as I would have hoped, I would suggest part 141 if they could. You know, or I would mention that it uh, is at least an option for them. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that they have those sort of options. And kind of going back to like that accelerated school that I went to for the rest of my ratings beyond private, it was part 61, but they mimicked 141. Like it was very structured. I knew exactly what each lesson was going to be, there was a very detailed syllabus and there were standards that had to be met to kind of move on from everything. So it was 141-esque. And my favorite part of the school was going to the CFI Academy. I went down to Jacksonville, Florida, and I had an incredible instructor, Walter, and he was so knowledgeable, so passionate, and really took the time to teach us and I, it was hands down my number one experience thus far in learning as a pilot. And it was, he, I, if I'm remembering correctly, he used to be a teacher. Um, I can't remember if it was elementary school or high school, but it was so obvious because he was so good at it. And there were so many times when I was sitting in class with him where I was like, why can't this be what aviation is all the time? Like, I think people would be better pilots.
0: Or the last thing I heard you say was you were asking Walter why can't it always be like this?
1: No, I was just wondering why why can't the process of learning as a pilot always be like this because it was just it was such an amazing experience and I learned so much in that ground school, so much and and like I don't know if this got caught toward the end of that but I still text him to this day. Like when I got my job at this 135, I texted Walt because he'll always have this place in my mind of being such a great instructor. And I learned so much from him. And if that's what this whole process had been, I think I'd be so much better off for it. But unfortunately, that's just not how this goes. It's not this hands-on classroom experience like my childhood. It's, just me sitting on my couch with my cats with a book or going to a library or a cafe and yeah just it's just so monotonous you know but that's the process and if I if I knew that I think I would have been a little bit more mentally prepared for it all but, but I, I had no idea
0: I would also say that that's been your experience but there I'm pretty confident that that there is a wide variety of training experiences oh. out there. Um, Absolutely.
1: Like, like Absolutely. When I just
0: transitioned to the jet, uh, I thought the, 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 the culture, the environment was, it was really great. Um, every instructor and check airman that, that we dealt with would just, if you had questions that you wanted to talk about after each simulator and whatnot, they were there. They were there to talk. Um, and that's been the case, I mean, pretty much ever since I got hired in the, in the big leagues, so to speak. You know, first one in the America West. Um, uh, these guys are loving what they're doing. and it may be, Maybe it's just that the difference of maybe you've been dealing with a lot of people at the level you're at who are kind of like in it because that's what they have to be doing at this point and their heart isn't in it. But the other cool thing I, I see is, like, there's a tremendous opportunity right now, uh, if not for you, for people who are in there in your same position who loved flight instructing. And, you know, maybe you've got a goal set on working for a major carrier someday. But, you know, one of the coolest people I see, and I, I don't know him too well, I don't even know his first name, but uh, he's that guy Steve Randall's friends with, and he runs that, um, the Finer Points. Mm-hmm. Uh, podcast or Mm -hmm. show and he he's i don't want to say just a flight instructor he's a flight instructor and he seems to be making a pretty full and vibrant career out Mm -hmm. of being a flight instructor and i'm gonna bet that if you show up to go you know work with that guy like he's not like shoveling you in the plane and like doing the lather rinse repeat without the full on briefings of what we're doing I, i bet you're getting some some great instruction, and, and I also bet that people are paying him more than market rates for that instruction.
1: I would hope so, right <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, like some people just do the CFI thing because it 's part of the process, and they don 't really care and there are people who are really good instructors, and it shows and it 's obvious, and if that was everyone 's flight instructor, he'd be so much better off and you know, my instructor that did my private, he's been instructing forever and great. Like I learned so much from him too. And it was obvious when I had someone who had not only the knowledge and the passion, but also the experience because he had been flying for a lot longer than the average CFI at my school. You get that sort of, person and you're, you're just lucky and when you don't it sucks and you're on your own but you're right it's not my story is mine so it's can only a test to what I know but I am very aware that there are people who seek out having a better experience and so they make sure that they have it um, they'll fire their flight instructor if it's not working I you know I didn't always have that luxury at you know, an accelerated school if something wasn't working to be able to pivot, you know, but if you're not getting what you're paying for and if you're not getting the instruction that you need, then you are well within your right as a student to make sure you're getting what you need out of it, whether it's just for your learning style or whether it's a personality issue with your instructor that you might be having. Um, I think people should be aware that you're paying for it and you should get what your your money is. Absolutely. You know, <laughs>
0: like, Absolutely. It's expensive and when you so, go to one of these super highly structured 141 programs that have a lot of instructors working for them they'll kind of make it seem like you know like like it's weird they kind of treat you both like a customer but like like an employee all in the same thing or as a yeah. cadet so to speak and yeah man just remember you you're the customer
1: yeah absolutely
0: choose what you want to do because if, if you're going to tell them, hey, you know what? Maybe it's just not going to work out. Maybe I'll go somewhere else. That they will definitely switch instructors for you. Yeah.
1: You know? yeah.
0: <laughs> but it is inconvenient yeah. for them. So, you know. Yep. <clears throat> All right. So uh, I think we've talked a lot, but one of the things I kind of wanted to hit on more, let's just talk about being a flight attendant. Yeah, and one of the things I'm specifically interested in is, what do you think the pilots can do to support their flight attendants while they're flying? Like, like what what are the things that pilots do that make a difference to let you know that they see you and value you as the trained aviation safety professionals you are?
1: Starts in the briefing for sure, just setting the tone. Um, But I think what really set the good pilots aside from the not so good ones is having our backs. Like if I say that there is a disgruntled passenger that needs to be removed from the flight, believe me, you know, I'm trained to make that distinction of whether they should fly or not. I can't tell you how many times I would see someone express a concern with someone, a passenger, and then a a captain just diminishing it all to nothing and the passenger staying on board. And it just makes everyone's lives more miserable, whether it's us while we're working or the person sitting next to that passenger, having to deal with them for the next hour, several hours. And I get it. I get why people do that because they want to just problem solve and leave on time and reduce the paperwork. I get it. But coming from the side where you're the ones actually dealing with the passengers, it's it's really um, hurtful and disrespectful when your crew doesn't have your back, whether that's your captain or first officer or your flight attendants that you're working with. I think we all need to believe each other and trust each other. And it's obvious when someone does trust you and believe you. And it's when they don't, it's like, what the heck, man? Like I'm part of the crew too. Um, And then just being nice. I know that seems pretty obvious, but I can't tell you how many pilots just suck to work with just because they're miserable. They just, Oh my God, it's just toxic. Yeah, you know, you know, you're in the flight deck with them. Of course, you know. But like, as flight attendants, we feel it too. It's like, you're the captain, set the tone. Let's hear, like, we're here at work. And if it sucks, it sucks. But like, let's make the best of it and let's get through this together and we can debrief it later. But I can't tell you how many times a flight would be ruined for me just because of a toxic environment. That started with a briefing, you know, and it just—it's gross, <laughs> like just miserable. Like you, and names automatically come to mind of people you just never want to fly with. And uh, of course, captains, first officers, and flight attendants alike—you get blacklisted pretty quick if you're that guy. Um, but I think being a good advocate for your crew and just being supportive and kind and patient and understanding of where we're coming from and good crm and blah 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 all that but the good ones are just so obviously good because they get it you know i when we worked at our old airline there would be the pilots that they'd come out and make their pa to the passengers before we you know got going and they would say things like, you know, this is so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and they're working in the back and they're here for your safety and they're primarily here for your safety or however they would word it. And then maybe uh, the captain would follow it up with like, they work really hard. Please be kind to them. And just those little things, it's a small gesture and it takes less than five seconds to spew that out over the PA, but we notice and it feels good. And it's just it's like, okay, this is gonna be a good trip. They clearly get it. And you know, and that goes both ways too. I think a lot of flight attendants don't get what it takes to become a pilot, and they can be pretty dismissive of you know the whole career itself. And there's that whole us and them with flight attendants and pilots. But to be a good captain is to be one who has their whole crews back, not just the person you're sitting next to. And being kind and supportive and patient and just problem solving together as a team and knowing when you have to stand up as PIC and just make the call of course there's that point too but it yeah. it's it's hurtful as a flight attendant when your captain just doesn't get it at all and it isn't there for you yeah
0: like you said, sometimes as a captain, you have to just up and make a call, but there's a way to make a call where you're still acknowledging and validating the other crew members input, even if you're not going along with it, you know, you still say, Hey, listen, I've heard you. I appreciate why you feel that way. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to go this way with this decision and I'm doing it because of this, that, and the other considerations, um, you know, and, but the other cool thing you get to do as a captain is so you get to, you know, take all the responsibility for the decisions and get to take the load off the other people too. Like, if, yeah, you know, the flight attendant doesn't want the door closed yet, and the gate agent is trying to close the door. I mean, that that's a kind of an absurd scenario right there because that doesn't happen right now. But you know, it, it in older days, you know, you kind of feel that rush and pressure from the station and. You, know, you can just say, "Hey, put it on me." Like, don't worry, I got you, yeah. you know. Um, yep. So give me a, an example of you said it all starts with the briefing. So VFR flight, or, or you know, good weather, uh, no bumps. What do you want to hear in a briefing from a, from a pilot?
1: Flight time. <laughs> Every flight <laughs> <is heading. laughs> wants to know the flight time. how soon until we get where we're going, whatever it might be for their motivation on the other end. Um, You know, especially if you're working in an aircraft that doesn't have the fancy little map on the seat back so that you can kind of stay in the loop. But just knowing how long this journey is going to be is huge, but I don't know. I think just keeping the briefing standard is great. And just approaching it with like lightheartedness and and really expressing that, Hey, I've got your back. Like if you need something, I'm here for you. Or if you see something smells, you know, you're my eyes, you're my ears, you're my nose. Like those, those things that you hear from people, it's, that's a good way to set the tone for the crew in the back that you are approachable and you are a resource up there, even though there's that door between us. Um, some captains won't, so they won't say anything like that. And you're less likely to call them up if you need assistance, if they don't seem as approachable. Um, but yeah, it, it all starts there for sure. Just setting the tone to have a good flight. And when I made the jump up to the front of the plane as like the lead or a or cursor, or however you want to word it, flight attendant, that's something that I kind of took to heart is my briefing with my team. Like I'm trying to set the tone for the flight so that we have a good time. And Let them know that if they have anything going on in the back, like what you said, like, if if this guy is being a jerk to you, let me know. I'll go deal with him, and it's not your problem anymore. And I'll – it's kind of nice being um, the boss, even though that's not really what it is, so that you can at least feign a little bit of power to the passengers so that it seems like you're solving the problem. Yeah, Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes when someone says, I want to speak to the manager – And it's just like another person that's standing right there. It's like, whether it's the captain or the lead flight attendant, just like that little sense of power, it solves things sometimes. So even as working up uh, as a flight attendant up front, I would just use that sense of power that passengers have just to like solve things and take the pressure off my teammates when things weren't going very well in the back and just like, Hey, I got your back here and captains can do the same thing.
0: Cool. Yeah. Cool. Anything else?
1: Hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately. Um. So I'm at this 135 gig, and you know, I've been in this industry now for 13 years as a flight attendant. So you know, I don't get it by any means. I'm just just now starting to get it all. But something will happen throughout the day and I'll see various pilots kind of start to lose it and get angry or what take things personally, whatever it might be. And I'm sitting here thinking it's gonna be okay. We're gonna get through this. But I also I wonder if I just have this experience now that I'm able to kind of just see things as they are and break it down in a different way than maybe they are. I'm also 10 years older than a lot of people that I work with so I wonder if that might have something to do with it but there are just so many times lately whether it's mechanical issues or weather delays where I am so thankful that I have been a flight attendant I think it is only making me a better pilot and we'll we'll be en route to wherever and just kind of chatting as we do and they'll just ask me stories about being a flight attendant. And it's been such a great journey. It's been a wild ride. I think we were very lucky to work at Virgin America. What a great experience Like I've made. like Look at us. Look at us. We're doing this little podcast thing right now. We're friends for life. And I've just made so many incredible friends over the years. And I just feel really lucky that this has been my journey. And it's been very obvious to me the last couple of weeks that I'm just so happy to have had this experience and that it's only going to go from here. and It's only going to grow, but it's been so fun, so hard at times, cool. but like, I don't know. I think this all played out the way it should have for me. And it's just been cool to Go from being the flight attendant to the pilot. It's yeah. something I wish everyone could do. And there are times where I'm talking with my captain. I'm like, dude, you should have been a flight attendant. You missed out, man. Like, <laughs> 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 like I, I wish that were like part of the process for everyone. Like, you go from being a flight attendant to being a student pilot. Like, I, I like if that were the journey, the like, the normal journey for people. Like, I just. I've learned so much from being a flight attendant over the years that has absolutely played a part in this. And if I could suggest that to someone who is seeking out this pilot career, if being a flight attendant is an option for you, go do it. I don't regret it. I have loved. I still am a flight attendant. I'm still like I'm having a really hard time severing that part of me. Yeah. Because I like once a flight attendant, always a flight attendant. Like we just are such a solid crew and I have loved every minute of it. Um, so if you're out there thinking about becoming a pilot and you've got the time and you're not in a rush, go do the flight attendant thing for a little bit too. Like it's awesome working in the back of the plane. It's it's awesome. I highly recommend
0: it. That's very cool. I think that yeah. um it's easy to, to not even try to grasp what other people are going through and you know that's like i included in my brief to the to the guests you know um just what you said before i, I in fact i made a i made a conscious shift in my briefing like i don't know two or three years ago and it, it was it was actually the uh, the the impetus of it was um seeing that like British Airways 777 that, that rejected on the takeoff due to a fire in Vegas and all of the passengers walking off the plane with their bags on board. It's like, well, why are they doing that? And they're doing it because they're not listening to the flight attendants, right? And the flight attendants are well-trained and they're giving you instructions in an emergency for a reason. And so part of it is, you know, has to do with just trying to get the guests to comply. But the other part of it is making sure that they know that you guys are well-trained. I say you guys, I mean, you're, you're yeah. both right here. <laughs> um, uh, that, that, you know, they are here first and foremost for your safety, you know, please know that they, you know, and they are well-trained at that, you know, towards that end, please know that your prompt compliance with all of their instructions makes every person on this airplane safer, you know, like you guys, aren't giving instructions for the fun of it or for some yeah. power trip, like it's because you're, you're well-trained. And that's an interesting uh, perspective. It would be, you know, it would be ideal if, if, if at the very least, you know, pilots could go through flight attendant training, you know, yeah. just, just to understand what they're, what they're going through. Uh, yeah. that's I think a, some of
1: my favorite parts of, um, okay you know, when we used to do refresh and all that, but like recurrent, even those modules where they would bring half the class was flight attendants and half the class was pilots. And we had to do some cheesy ice breaking thing and problem solving, but I actually really liked those, um, because it was a great opportunity to learn about what each side of the workforce was doing at the same time. Like I vividly remember, I think it was a refresh actually, they had up on the screen a timeline of you know 60 minutes before the flight to 60 minutes after the flight and they broke it down by like I think every 15 or 30 minutes and they showed what's going on you know in ops and what's going on with the flight attendants what's going on with the gate agents and you could see where the workload would shift for each of us yeah and it was I could see it in the room a lot of people had their aha moment of like oh that's why they're so stressed right now and I'm chill, because they're dealing with XYZ, and I'm sitting here just waiting. Or, you know, that's why the pilots are, you know, eager to get things going, because they've got this going on, and I'm just sitting here. And I think that was a great tool for all of us. And I loved that. So yeah, I think understanding your coworkers and where they're coming from, whether it's a flight attendant, or some a gate agent, or someone out on the ramp, whatever, like we all have different things that we're struggling with to get a flight out on time. And keep our customers happy and all of that. And so if you do have an opportunity to work in any of those positions, mechanic, whatever, like it's only gonna make you a better pilot in the long run to understand what's going on cool. everywhere else on the aircraft.
0: Any last recommendations on for someone getting into this uh, crazy world?
1: Don't rush into it. I think that's a big one. Do your research if you can, seek out mentorship, find people who have done it and learn from them and don't go in it alone. I think finding, if anything, one mentor is huge, but I've had probably three or four pilots that have been my mentors since before I was a student pilot. And I still, they still check on me regularly and vice versa. And so if you can kind of start off this journey with creating that little safety net of people, I think that's, immensely important to your success to have people to reach out to for advice or whatever it might be like one of our pilots uh, he, he's been my mentor throughout this before my private pilot check ride he met up with me at a starbucks and he drilled me for about four four and a half hours and gave me a mock oral really? like he, like i can never thank him enough you know and uh so having someone like that that just has your back and is there to support you is huge. So I try to remember that and I'm trying to pay it forward and help out other flight attendants and pilots alike to do this because I know how hard it can be to get through it on your own. So yeah, step one, find mentorship for sure before you start getting into it all and do your research and get organized and try to come up with a little bit of a plan And then once you get there, just do it and just jump in with both feet. I can't tell you how many years went by of me saying, I'm going to become a pilot. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm sure pilots at work were like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. We hear this all the time from flight attendants, but at some day, you just have to just
0: jump. So, yeah. And the last thing I'd like to add to that is just as far as the advice for anyone who's interested in becoming a pilot. It was really cool to hear you say how you were dreaming of becoming like the first female Blue Angel uh, back when you were a kid. Um, You gotta really like aviation. You have to really like the flying. Uh, I remember uh, this uh, a senior flight instructor at the first airport or the second airport, I started flight instructing. It's like, you know, what, what recommendation do I have for anybody looking to get into the aviation? You better love it. Because if you don't love it, you're going to hate it.
1: You're going to hate it. You're <laughs> going to be so, it's miserable. <laughs> like, why would you put yourself through this? Why? It's so stressful. God, yeah. you better like it. Otherwise, it's just torture. <laughs> like, God, yeah.
0: Yep. Towards that end, I, I have a question for you on the um, on the on the male female spectrum of things. Um, there's been a lot of conjecture and a lot of opinions and, and a lot of political opinions and yada 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 about you know diversity, women's place in the workforce or whatnot. Do you think that on average, if they knew that they had the same amount of opportunity? that as many women would be interested in aviation, like from the pilot end of things, as, as a man?
1: I don't know. I don't know, I think, I think a lot of that starts with how we raise boys and girls. I think it starts there, like gender norms and stuff. Yeah like boys like blue girls like pink. It starts there. And I know that really is oversimplifying all of this, but let's be honest, it does. You're kind of born into your gender and you're, whether it's very obviously forced into certain things or it's subliminal, you know, girls play with Barbies, boys play with, you know, GI Joes and that's definitely shifting. Um, but I would say a lot of it starts there. So until more girls are raised to have toys that encourage STEM, um, it, it, I know, again, I'm oversimplifying things, I think. Sure, sure. But I think the average girl who's been born into these societal roles of what it is to be a woman and what it is to be a man. I think, no. I think the average chick wouldn't seek this out. Um, But until that shift happens, where this is just a normal thing that has nothing to do with gender, the numbers will shift. I think they will. I absolutely think that they will. And they are, they're starting to. But no, I I don't think the average girl thinks that this is something that can do and and i hate to say this the the most sexist remarks that i've gotten have been from women older women oh, um wow. mm-hmm. even a it's funny because my captain that i'm working with right now he's starting to notice and it's been driving him insane and he because i just sit there and i take it yeah like i i just don't have some sassy remark I just let it play out and I just try to just be a good pilot and that in it of itself should change their perception, but he'll whip around and say, She is a fully qualified pilot. <laughs> and like, Ugh. I have so many women who, after we land will ask me, are you trying to become a pilot?
0: <laughs> and I'm like, wait, wait you mean the oh. pilot? They're asking and you and the I'm pilot. Like, are you trying to become a pilot? Oh my god, bitch, I just landed the plane. Like,
1: what are you talking about? <laughs> I like it's unfathomable sometimes. Like, and it's usually women. And I'm trying so hard to just let it roll off my back. And it's just been really cute seeing my captain notice it. And one of the last trips we had with each other, he's like, Jamie, I'm so sorry. Like I just was not privy to any of this. So he's like, I knew it was a thing, but like until you actually fly with a woman every day because we fly together every day he's like I had no idea and he's like I'm so sorry and I'm like it's fine like it it's not fine but like it it's just part of it and he's like I never got that as a first officer never he's like and he's like you get it every maybe third flight fourth flight I'm like "Mm -hmm, I know and I would see that as a flight attendant like you know during deplaning I'm standing there up in the front galley and let's say the captain is a woman and the first officer is a man and they're standing up there in the galley with me and we're saying bye to passengers. People look right past our captain and just think the male first officer just, and it wasn't even his leg or whatever. not that they need to know that, Uh, you know, they don't even see her as a pilot. And I'm thinking of like a very specific woman from, you know, our group of friends right now, but like, I just remember looking at her and being like so angry for her and she's like, yeah. Jamie, it's just part of it. And that made me so infuriated. And now here I am. And now I'm the one that's like, eh, it's just part of it. And I hate that I'm doing that. But what am I going to do? Sit there and like argue with someone or like get sassy about it? No, I can only just be a good pilot and hope that that resonates with them. But yeah, I'm really like taking this way farther than it used to no, go. No, no, Your question no, was, no, it job no, approachable so, it's for cool. women? But. Um, no I don't think this job is approachable for women and I want that to change so that's why I try to like reach out especially to like girls and anyone who's a minority so again I'm like a white woman here but like people of color and like it like I'm a member of NGPA too like it's this needs to just be more than like a white male job and that shift will come someday and I think we're making big strides but
0: People I think have a to big change. Opportunity
1: yeah, opportunity. like there needs to be better opportunities, and there needs to be less of an us and them from pilots who are here right now. They can't see whoever's sitting next to them as a quota filler. You can't. Well,
0: so, you can't so, I, I got to tell you something. Um, and I think that things have changed with time, and it's not just my own manufacture of my own memories. But, you know, like back when I was a new regional pilot in 99, uh, yeah, man, it was, I mean, it was fierce. There were, you know, being, in, being a, a new young male regional pilot, uh, man, things would just get said in flight decks and crew rooms that were, whew, and, and yet all of the women that we worked with, uh, you know, some of whom are contemporaries of of ours at at the airline today, um, were really cool. And, and it's like, I felt like there was like respect for them, but then there was also this, uh, this other side of like, just you know, sometimes people think that they're being funny, but they're actually being sarcastic. And, and I think sometimes people can bullshit themselves about, oh, I'm just joking around. It's like, yeah, but you know, you don't joke around like that with other people, yada, yada, yada. But I guess what, I, what I'm, I'm trying to say, what I see as a positive is from 1999 to 2021, I do see big amount of, cult, of of like cultural shift that there is way, 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 way less of that than there, than there ever has been, uh, at least in my career. And, you know, I used to say something to, uh, women pilots that I was flying with, uh, and I'm thinking of one in particular. Um, and she was razor sharp, very quick witted, very funny, um, pretty woman. Uh, and she was like, hey, I didn't realize flying with you was going to be fun or that you were going to be good or something like that. She said it just like to me and I was like, well, I knew it was going to be that, that it was going to be fun flying with you. I knew because I've heard how every single woman pilot is as a pilot here at this company. This was back in like, '08 oh at Virgin mm-hmm. America when I was a brand new captain. It's like, you knew whether or not you ever flew with a woman pilot you knew how every single one of them was, whether or not they were judged to be, you know, sharp, competent, or, or on the other end of things. And, you know, there were even these adages that would fly around. It's like, man, there's no middle ground. You know, women pilots are either totally sharp and rock stars, or they're totally incompetent and whatnot. And you know what? I tend to think that, A, that's bullshit. Um, that it's just like, there's it's no difference. Like it's the same spectrum, but B what I think is a positive, And I don't think that it's just my lack of curiosity or being less of a gossip than I was 14 years ago. Uh, I don't, I don't see that anymore. Like, like I, I just flew with a, a woman last week. I had no idea who, who she was, whether or not she was, you know, uh, had a reputation for being, you know, one way or the other. I had no, idea. I just showed up and we flew a trip together. And like, <laughs> and, 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 and that would be the case for, I think most women who I'm in this space with now is that I, I have no idea. Like, and, and we just show up and, and we fly and, and it's so, so I guess, I mean, mate, and I hope you don't, find this is like depressing that this is my like marker of progress or whatnot but i do see it as progress that there's like i don't get texts from friends like oh you're flying with so and so look out or oh my god she's 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 sharp you're gonna love it blah 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 or, you know which is like like just the lack of there even being the discussion i see as a measure of progress
1: oh that's huge and i mean there's the, I, there's this article that i read a long time ago and it's about being the cool girl. And I think teenage girls start to get into this um psyche that to be liked by the guys, you have to be one of the guys, you have to be the cool girl. And who is the cool girl? She's beautiful, she's funny, she 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 burps, she's one of the guys, she can take a joke. She like sexist remarks just bounce off of her that's why she's cool because she can hang with the guys and they think of her as one of the guys that they can sleep with, you know? And so that like, that grows with you as a woman. And I think when people, women get into these jobs that are male dominated to be one of the guys, to be a good coworker, you have to be one of the guys. So you don't get to be yourself and you don't get to be Feminine, if that's who you are, it, whatever it is that's you, you lose it because you're just trying to fit in with the guys that so they don't just associate you with your gender. And I see that in aviation as well, and I, I I'll get caught up in it, in it as well. Like I I lose sight of who I am every now and then just to be seen as a good pilot, and it sucks because it's like you're acting, you know, and you're never really being. Yourself. And I can only imagine a lot of other women would feel the same. So, yeah, that makes me super happy to hear that that's your maybe your benchmark for what is happening in the industry. Like, if you're not just seeing this woman pilot for their skill set based on their gender and it's not like the buzz of the town, that's huge. So, you don't need to downplay it. Like, it's this trivial little thing. I think that is important. And those little, those little things add up and it, we, we feel it. We feel, I can tell if guys are talking about me as a pilot because of my gender and I can tell if they're talking about me as a pilot based on just my knowledge and skill set. And it's blindingly obvious, you know? So don't downplay it. I think it's fair to make that assessment and that you've noticed it since the 90s to now or even just from starting the early days of Virgin to now. the the gossip about women pilots has died down a bit. That's huge. I think that's a big, a big thing. And I I think it's good that you recognize it. I think it's good that you noticed it. Like the fact that you even noticed it at all is important. You know,
0: One of the reasons for me starting this podcast is I noticed I was spending too much time paying attention to political, political bullshit on social media and having strong opinions about that. Right. And it's like, If I think about this issue in particular, the issue of like you know diversity, equity, inclusion, as it relates to the airline world, I've heard and I cringe to say legitimate because I know that there's somebody who's like, how dare you say some other opinion is legitimate? But I've heard legitimate opinions on both sides of the issue. Like there's this one popular right wing guy who who likes to point out that you know men and women vary significantly in 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 interests. And so, you know, generally speaking, women are more interested in people and and men are more interested in things. And so therefore, you know, men are going to gravitate more towards the linear thinking things like engineering than women do, which is not, which is in no way predictive for any individual, which is, so you can't predict what any individual you can do. You can only predict by and large what what groups of people will do. And so if you view the airline world through that lens. Well, then it's no surprise that three percent of pilots are women, or whatever the number is. I, I, I'm not off by an order of magnitude. I know that much. Um, seven. It's seven percent. Well, that's that's progress, right? And so let, let's say he's totally right about that, right? And that there will that that if if the opportunity field was as wide as possible, and we had done all reasonable efforts to to, uh, to not have any cultural, you know, societal, cultural inhibitions of women being pilots, um, that it wouldn't be 50-50, right? But, but I think that doesn't...
1: It wouldn't be I, seven,
0: though. So. <laughs> that, that's it, that, that's the point that I'm trying to make. It probably wouldn't be seven either. It would be a number greater than seven, you know? Yeah. And so... The cool thing that I that I see is that progress is being made now to someone who's going who's just had a hard experience due to you know all the things you've talked about maybe that that idea of hey there's progress isn't the big consolation to them but you know it things are getting better.
1: this hasn't been a bad experience though I know we've talked a lot about bad points throughout my journey but like I I've This hasn't been immensely hard. It hasn't been a huge struggle. I've been really supported by a lot of great men, mostly, you know, like, of course, like uh, the talking points are important to bring up about what's been awful along the way, but like, I have been having a great time and very lucky and, you know, like you hit a wall here and there, but you just push through and you keep going. And this whole thing has been great and I'm happy and I've learned a lot and I've made so many friends and this has just been great so I know we've talked a lot about the negative stuff but I do want to like pay homage to the fact that this has been wonderful (laughs) like I don't want to get caught up in the bad stuff
0: well that that sounds like a great note to end this on
1: yeah absolutely thanks
0: so much for doing this because this has been
1: anytime this is fun this is fun Oh